This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Court, I'm just going to start before we talk about some great deals at Zupan's by describing a couple of things that I picked up on my last visit the other day that I really enjoyed. One was, uh, you know, the soups at Zupan's are delicious. I got some chicken noodle soup, which was absolutely spectacular, and I got two meals out of that. So that was really good. Check out the soups at Zupan's, both in that warm counter and also in the refrigerated section to take home. And also, I finally got a chance to try Nico's ice cream. I had the raspberry variety, and it is delicious. This is, um, this is, if you listen to our podcast, you can hear Nico talk about his ice cream. Fantastic. I'm really glad I tried it. Very nice. That's one of the things we love most about uh, Zupans is that their approach to the local bounty that is around us. And of course, Nico's being local is very apropos. Other thing that is local, uh, you might have got the notification if you're a member of the news feed, is that Oregon strawberries are now in. And it's one of the most exciting times of the year. It is. I think those of us who live in Oregon and appreciate that know that we're looking forward to the hoods, yep. but we also know there are a lot of varieties that are fantastic. So, And, and Zupans does not disappoint ever in their produce department. They really don't. They want you to have the best possible local bounty that there is. And I can say with confidence that Zupans has the best produce. That's right. Other things that are local that you can pick up right now, Columbia River King Salmon, wild 100% native caught salmon from Two Rivers Fish Company just arrived at your local Zupans. You can pick that up for $29.99 a pound. Uh, Nothing better than throwing some salmon on the grill this time of year, Chris. And this weekend, which would be, what, the 10th through the... 12th, we have 50% off all plants, and anybody who's been to Zupans knows that their floral department and their plant department is superior. So that's a great opportunity there if you're looking to, um, to round out your, your stoop or anywhere in your, on your property. Is stoop an East Coast thing? We call them stoops here on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I don't know, but I just called it yeah. that, and I was out there on my, on my stoop rounding out, yeah. <laughs> rounding out a th- couple of plants. I think we tend so. to call them just the, the front porch or the back porch, but I, uh, somebody once told me that's kind of an East Coast thing, but I, but I knew exactly what you were talking about, Chris. The landing, the uh, entryway, yeah. I the don't stoop. know. The stoop. I think it's Dutch. That, 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 that would be referring to me, the yeah, stoop. That, 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 that's that's, your, that's our nickname for, for Chris. Uh, three <laughs> locations to serve you. You've got West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Oswego, and information can always be found where? At Zupans.com. Right here it is time once again it's portland's food scene podcast it's right at the fork with your host chris angelis from portland food adventures i'm co-host court johnson on this now chris i'm not talking about the weather i'm just making a quick reference here we're calling it january because uh it's just been such a weird weather wet week weather month yeah well we finally got a little bit of sun but you know out here on the coast it changes so rapidly and if you drive from manzanita to astoria you basically get opposite weather patterns so i did that yesterday but uh yeah we're gonna get some apparently some rain but i think maybe the ratings were down at the the news stations and they're looking for anything to talk about viewers so they're teasing right they're teasing it i think that's i just i just love the new terms that start you know start getting used um atmospheric river seems to be the big thing we start hearing about the last few years. Yeah, I heard that from my girlfriend Renee last night, so I knew she was watching the local TV news. an atmospheric river. She always claims never to do. She always claims never to do that, but somehow she's aware of what's going on. Sure. Maybe she's she's clicking around. I don't know. But, you know, we met because she saw me on KGW promoting uh, my Sicily trip a few years Mm -hmm. ago. And she always claims that that was a rare occurrence, that she happened to be watching the local news. And I have caught her along the way doing it. So, um, Well, you know, anyway. what's interesting is, um, and, and you know this from your, your time selling media, is that people's recollection of the, the type of media, whether it's television or radio, that they consume is much different than what they actually do. So it's either a lot more or a lot less. 
Um, and so, um, you know, she's, she probably is watching more than she realizes, but you know, some people might be watching a lot less than they would actually claim. Right. That's why the, the Nielsen ratings books, the, di- oh, the diaries were so but, questionable for years and Arbitron diaries for oh, radio. A- it was, it was absolutely ridiculous. You could basically say a few things subtly on the radio. And when people would go to fill out those diaries, they'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I listened for three hours yesterday. And then they'd listen right. for maybe 15. Well, the interesting thing was in that business, when they went to digital tracking, the the numbers changed drastically from the people who were getting paid what like ten dollars to do a, a diary over a three month period and how many people would do it on a daily basis for that amount they would catch up and and just make stuff oh, right. up uh, and probably the station that they liked the best really got the benefit of that because it's all they knew yeah. and all they remembered so they kept saying they were going to. They were going to write that down, but you know that's why podcasts are so big now because people are actually listening to those for a while, right? There, if if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully don't skip through those awesome commercials that we right. have, um, or to try to find something. But you're listening; it's a little different listen than than certain TV shows. And you know when VCRs came about, same thing happened. But radio with with eight commercial spot banks for five minutes, they'd lose losers. You know oh, that. Oh yeah, so. yeah, and, and like you said, <laughs> losers, listeners. listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, to, to your point, when that yeah, when the digital tracking came along, it became very obvious what was happening when when commercials, especially long commercial uh, breaks, would come on. But uh, yeah. Uh, how did we? Yeah, well, it's interesting. And they didn't go back, and none of the radio stations went back and said to their advertisers, gee, we just found out we had a quarter of the listeners we had when we were charging right. you on a cost per thousand basis right. or cost per point basis. They never went back the years and said, hey, we'll do. Th-. In fact, they found ways to charge sure. more, including all their digital stuff they had in their arsenal yeah. now, all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, my, my favorite thing, Chris, and then we can move on to something else because I don't know if this is exciting to anybody but was but was when when uh arbitron shifted to the digital tracking that they now have in most markets in fact they still have diaries chris in, in smaller markets it's just cheaper for them mm-hmm. to do it um they actually had to come in and explain to us why the digital tracking was more accurate and better and so in doing so they basically had to bas- you know basically uh really put down their previous system which they, you know, had been heralding for for decades. And I actually raised my hand in the meeting and said, so wait a minute, you're basically just saying everything we've been doing is just a bunch of garbage. And the, you know, just kind of crickets and silence on the other side. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And they sold with conviction. And then they were saying, oops, sorry, this is the way to go. And, And now it's proving everything that we did was pretty much bullshit but anyway it's not an inappropriate conversation uh here because we are actually talking about we have a podcast uh episode here that focuses on a tv show a media show a youtube show um it's not on broadcast television it's not on cable television maybe someday it will be but there is now a uh, documentary series being produced in Portland about the Portland food scene called Bridge to Table. And I caught wind of it um, last week and thought, well, this is very interesting. It's very well produced. I thought it was really cool. The first episode is really about how the pandemic affected restaurants. And they talked to people we know who have been on our podcast before, like Nate Tilden and Vince Wynn from Berlou. Um, but I thought the production value was very good. And I thought it's a it's a noble thing. And we have, you know, one of the things that makes Portland special is that we have a um, wonderful food scene here, and hopefully it'll return to what it was. That's part of what this podcast is all about. So um, we're to, we speak with uh, we have two people, and I don't know if I actually said it in the meat of the interview or before we actually clicked record, but definitely the most attractive couple uh, we've ever recorded on. Uh, on the podcast at the same time. That doesn't mean that all the other couples that we've had on aren't beautiful, too. But just pointing this sure, out. Sure, okay. Court. 
<laughs> so and it's it's Lathan and Anne Marie Gorbett, and uh, we sat down a couple of days ago and talked about their visions. One of the things we realized that we had in common was uh, there's quite a few things that reasons we started doing what we were doing. Um, but one of the things that that Anne Marie felt that I've always felt is that. Uh, our chefs and the people behind the scenes in our food world are our rock stars, our sports stars, whatever you want to call them. You know, I come from the New York area where we had a lot of sports teams. We don't have as many here. We have the Blazers, and I'm going to put the Timbers into that too, I guess, so we don't get any fallout. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's it. That's all we've got. And here we've got chefs you can talk to and learn from that's how I started Portland Food Adventures was the idea that you could talk to a chef and find out where they went and where they hung out. And then also, you know, when are you going to talk to Damian Lillard and he's going to hand you a basketball? You could talk, you can talk to the chefs here and they'll hand you a dish of food and say, try this. And to me, that was a very special thing. And I think that's what Anne Marie mentioned as well. Um, uh, in putting together their uh, their show, episode one is now airing. They've got episode two and three, sh- most of them shot. They've got some editing to do, and they need some funding to happen. So there's some donations from viewers that might be helpful. But if anybody really has leads to potential sponsors, I know they have um, Travel Portland in their sites. Whether Travel Portland after the pandemic has that much of a budget to do anything is. Time will tell. We'll see. But uh, I think it, you know, I think it's a nice way of showcasing the Portland food world. Much like Court, did you, have you happened to catch the latest episode of Somebody Feed Phil, the Portland episode? You know, after you uh, mentioned it to me and we talked about it here on the podcast, I went and uh, and watched most of the episode. I didn't get through all of it, but I, I watched a good chunk of it. And then actually, Chris, I was able to, I mentioned this to you, see some of the outtakes, some of the stuff that didn't make it in it, because Bill Oakley, who we just had on the podcast a few weeks ago, did a segment with Phil that didn't make the cut. And so that was, that was published on... On, on Instagram, so um, but it was good good to kind of see um, the Portland you know food scene broadcast nationally. Yeah, and there's some some new spots that you and I learned about as well. So um, and then we ended up doing our annual meeting over at Prost. I put that in quotes. Our annual right. business meeting. Yeah, they, <laughs> the the get together that uh, has become less frequent. Right. Well, no, we did it. So, and we have some plans uh, about the podcast and maybe even a little bigger than the podcast too. So you and I got together, you had some Burger Stevens. I had some Matt's barbecue, some brisket the other day. And of course, Kodak, my dog participates in the meeting. And, uh, and then we had, here's what happens when you don't have office space. When your office is a food cart pod. Uh, we were in the middle of, we were really at the meat of our conversation, getting somewhere, mm-hmm. which I'm happy to, <laughs> happy to report. And then this woman came over, was uh, enamored with Kodak and starts talking about him, to him, to me, broke in for 10 minutes into our meeting. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I, I guess I'm happy if anybody sees in Kodak what I see in him. And that was very nice. But we did have that little, we only had so much time. Right. And we ended up talking about her dog experience. And th- there were a couple of opportunities that I think somebody that might have been a little more aware would have said, "Ooh, I'm interrupting you guys. Let me... Uh move along but she, she did not pick up that's on that's kind of where my thinking goes yeah. immediately yep. just you know it's okay after 15 seconds 30 seconds hey thanks uh i'm on my way i had that happen uh in a conversation that was kind of important to me outside the post office in manzanita last week where someone cut into a conversation and absolutely not only wasn't aware that they changed the subject of the conversation but that they had completely just killed our conversation so anyway the good thing is nobody's going to cut into well what's going to cut in right now is the interview with Lathan and Anne Marie and that's a good thing so but no one can cut in in the middle of that interview except for some technical problems that we had and uh, I hope we got them all fixed please forgive us if you hear a 
a little blip here and there. Oh, Chris. Um, but I think if I do my job correctly, nobody will even know. Right. That's and the it, test. The people know to look for it, and they're not going to find yeah, and, it. Yeah, and if you do, let me know. Then, then we'll know. You listen to the whole podcast. <laughs> so uh, this is a, is a fun interview and an interesting interview because these are not tastemakers. These are people highlighting tastemakers, much like we do here on the podcast. And it's Lathan and Anne-Marie Gorbett of Bridge to Table. By the way, you can find it because we mentioned it at the end, but I want to mention it up front. Uh, you can find it at you can find them on Instagram, Bridge to Table, and also if you go to YouTube and you search Bridge to Table Portland, you will find at least the first episode. But if you go to Google Bridge to Table and even put in Portland on the the regular Google, it's a little difficult to find. So they need some traction. <laughs> so that happens um, uh, with more. How about news. this, Chris? I'll I'll uh, find it and I'll put it in the show notes so that people can go to our show notes, whether uh, via the you know whatever podcast platform they're listening to or on our website, Ring uh, not Ringside. Uh, right at the fork.com. Yeah, and you know, maybe they have it on Ringside too. As a matter of fact, we talk about Ringside, and these two were big Ringside fans too, as well. So that was that was nice to hear. But yes, put it in the show notes, and everybody tell us you're checking in on the show notes and the podcast. Hey, Court, one more time, we haven't done this mm-hmm. in a while. Subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Give us a review if you feel inclined. We'll take it. Yeah. And even if you're not inclined. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. Featuring the best chef-centric experiences in Portland since 2010. Go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com to see about the exciting trips our host Chris Angeles leads to places you have dreamed of going, like Western Sicily this September. It's time to stretch your international wings and expand your culinary horizons. Let Portland Food Adventures do all the planning to the best dining and culture all over Europe and elsewhere with Portlanders you'll get to know and enjoy. PortlandFoodAdventures.com All right. Looks like we've got you here. Post dropping kids off at school. How old are your kids? They're six and they're three. Six and three. Okay. Not to bring this back to me immediately, but that is about when I took over um, parenting my kids full time, 24 7, 365 by myself. So just you guys are lucky you got it going there together. And, uh, oh, we do have a 22-year-old as well. So we've been through this How before. is that? <laughs> How is that? You both look like you're in your 20s. That doesn't, that doesn't jibe with me. Not my step, stepdaughter. Her stepdaughter, my daughter. So I, I'm, I, I was 19 when she was born. And uh, you know, wow. she's, she's off on her own now. You're looking pretty youthful, my friend. Both of you. I had commented before we hit the record button on, I don't know if we've had as an attractive, an attra- as attractive um, guest together on the podcast before. So um, oh, you've we'll raised the it. bar. Yeah, well, you guys are on, doing television, so it matters. It's a little more important. You know, right up front when you click on episode one of Bridge to Table, you're there. So um, explaining a little bit about what you're doing. And I guess that's a good segue. Why don't you explain a little bit about what you're doing with with Bridge to Table, how that came about, and where you are with it right now, and we'll we'll take it from there. 
Yeah. Um, well, so pre-pandemic, I was uh, I just graduated with uh, my master's in multimedia journalism at U of O here in Portland, and I was having a hard time getting like landing a gig, you know, video work is just very competitive. And, and I thought I had landed something. Um, and then COVID came along and kicked the heels out from underneath that. So I just needed to get busy. I, w- I was antsy. I wanted to go film stuff. And then, you know, uh, the, the protests came along. And so night after the first, the first night of protests, or I guess at that point, riots were happening. I went down the next day just to film and video or, you know, to fo- photograph some of the damage that was done. And then that night I went down at night to film and I was just, you know, getting, you know, with like all the protesters, I was part of that group, I guess, getting, sh- you know, shoot off by cops and breathing in pepper spray and just filming the whole thing, continued filming the protests and just not, not really sure what I was going to do with this. But when the fires came along, I saw a lot of, um, just bashing of Portland and just everything that was going on. It just became this whole like hodgepodge of misinformation, which sparked another, uh, you know, fire in me. Um, but overall I just was looking at bad press about Portland and I didn't know what I could do about it, but I thought, you know, this is really hurting restaurants and that that's what we care a lot about. It's I have not a culinary what they needed. background. It's not what they needed then what yeah yeah well i just you know i didn't know what i could do i you know i don't even have like any followers on the youtube page i didn't really have anything but i have some cameras and uh figured i'd go out and and just start recording and start interviewing chefs and asking them their challenging you know their trials and tribulations um i was going to make an eight-part uh docuseries about the struggles of covid in the restaurant industry um, but a friend and colleague reminded me that we're getting to the end of this thing potentially, and people are going to care a lot less about COVID and to watch eight episodes about it. So I decided to cram all the footage I had into one pilot. Uh, we're going to make a second episode about closures, um, a third episode about restaurants that decided to, you know, were crazy enough to open up during COVID. And then that's our off ramp. And then it's just going to be a show about Portland restaurants. That's interesting. So no, you so you're starting kind of with the negative right up front, but at some point you'll have some archives, right? So people yep. can choose to go to that or not. And I agree. We did. We got to the point where on this podcast we said I think we've done enough about the the. Everybody understands what's going on. They've heard this episode before. That does not mean we don't want to highlight some of the uh landmines that everybody's been dealing with and maybe in a productive way we can help get them to the right pages to get people to call their their lawmakers and so forth um but at some point i i hope you're right that it's in the rearview mirror and uh then we're on to some more positive things um yeah, every time and in a way there are oh i'm sorry i was going to say every time no, go we ahead. hear about Every time we hear about Portland um, and all over the news, people always talk about the protests. People always talk about the riots. People always talk about the homeless. And we just wanted to highlight that there is a lot more to Portland than those three things. Um, And, I mean, they're important, but it's also how did... Like, we, we love food. I'm a huge foodie. So how did the restaurant industry get through all that negativity um, in the last two years? And that's what we wanted to kind of tell a story about that. Well, one of the things right up front in your first episode with Nate Tilden, he talks about the fact he he immediately references this wonderful scene we had and there was a reason the scene was built there's a lot there's many reasons people came to portland not only chefs and people in the industry but the people who enjoyed it there are a lot of people who were first turned on by hey there's this food scene in portland and then they came here and then decided to move so uh it's it's key to remember why we were all here now there it's it's not a lie to say that the city changed and and, and there's so many there are lots of negatives about it but i'm going to say yesterday i drove into portland for um 
for a meeting and I came up 405 and saw all the flowers on the side of the highway and no tents. And it was like, it was literally like uh, the sun shining and the harps playing. It felt like, oh my God, this is what I remember. This is nice. This is beautiful. Yeah. It will be like this again. And it looks like we're on our way. So I'm sure I, that, agree. I think that sounds like the, the underlying thread to what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, you know, Nate Tilden did have, we, we interviewed him for, I think an hour and a half to two hours in Clyde Commons, empty, you know, box, everything boxed up. Um, and he had a lot of stories to tell. And one, some of them were about, you know, uh, people potentially, uh, houseless people trying to make their way into the, forcing their way into the door where he had to like defend himself. Um, and that story does, we have a lot of that. One of the conscious efforts or conscious decisions we made early on too was one, we don't, uh, we need to recognize the negativity, the negative things that happen because otherwise you're going to lose a lot of the audience that's going to say, well, no, they're just putting on their rose colored glasses in support of Portland and they're not seeing it. They're naive, right? We recognize that that's a problem. The other thing is, is we decided to veer away from the houseless situation in, in, in terms of the discussion, because I couldn't find somebody that was qualified to be a consultant for us to kind of help navigate that conversation in a respectful manner. And even though we feel for these people and we don't look down on them or we don't blame them for their situation, like some people might, we, uh, just to be sensitive in this episode, we decided to veer away from it. But, you know, I was down there one time and, and I, it smelled like feces and urine everywhere in Old Town. And it, I went down there three months later and it was like half the tents were gone. Half the garbage was cleaned up. It didn't smell bad. I went down to Deadstock Coffee and it seemed like I, I just feel like the city's cleaning itself up. Something's being figured out. Yeah, I, I normally work downtown and normally downtown is you don't want to be downtown. <laughs> Um, but lately, I feel like it's been so much cleaner and there's less boards up. Um, so I'm really happy about the progress that's been made. I uh, respect the fact that you were trying to, that you had given thought to an expert about all of this because in the few years we've been discussing this with a lot of really bright people who, you know, open restaurants and uh, are in the industry, I don't think we found an answer, a solution. Because I often asked, what do you think should be done? And no one really had the answer other than maybe a new city council or or a revised city council, you know, change the form of government. That was about as close as we could get to it. But I have, I have an idea we can talk about after, if you want to interview someone I think was about the, gave the most thoughtful responses on that, um, we can talk about that. But no, I think at some point that's all going to be in the past, much like 2008 and 2009, the financial hell that went that everybody went through, and that was tough for restaurants because they didn't have, um, you know, they didn't have customers for, that were doing very well for a while. And then, of course, there's an episode that we had on the podcast with um, Andy Fortgang of Le Pigeon and uh, Canard, where he pointed out, I thought it was awesome. He said, you remember the days when it snowed for 24 hours and we were freaked out about how we were going to meet payroll? <laughs> Think about that in the context of someday you're going to have to deal with that for two years. Mm -hmm. So uh, everything is relative. So... Um, uh, so, have you embarked on this? When when you started your first episode, did you have certain restaurateurs in mind that you wanted to talk to about COVID and how you were going to put that together? Or did it just come about that everybody had something to talk about in that regard? We have some sort of idea. We have some sort of list, like our favorite restaurants, um, uh, our favorite people in the restaurant industry. Um which we've actually interviewed a lot more than what's on the first episode. Um, but that will come in future episodes. So we do have an idea on who we want. And of course, I feel like as we have more episodes going, we'll get more people to, to interview with us. And it's also opened up a lot of doorways because, you know, there's uh, – 
I'm surprised how many people were just willing to open their doors. People that uh, don't wouldn't have to, and they can still keep going with their current status in the industry without giving any time to us. So I've been really grateful for that. But you know, it has I think opened up even more doorways. Like the 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 hat you're wearing right now, you know, those guys. Um, we've reached out to them, and they just you know they were. You know, they didn't shove us away. They responded. They said, hey, you know, just email us and we'll figure it out. Uh, some, a lot of the James Beard nominees, um, you know, Vincent Nguyen, who we already had on the, uh, the first episode, but several of the other ones have agreed to come on. Um, so, we, you know, we're trying to trickle in one of the formats we're looking at. Is, have you ever seen that show Street Food on, on uh, Netflix? Yes, somewhere along yeah. the way. I've seen a lot, yeah, yeah. Of, a lot of food shows. So, uh, well, And by the way, before we go uh, too much further, yeah, I yeah. just want to point out, because yeah. people can't see this, I'm wearing a flying fish hat, so we, so we know what you were referring to. And I yeah, want yeah, Leaf I love to know that, that too. I'm wearing a flying fish hat. Yes. <laughs> if he's listening, I want to do an episode on seafood with him, and then I want to do an episode on fishing, which I want to talk to you about with Portland Adventures, uh, Portland Restaurant Adventures. Um Right? Food adventures. Food adventures. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah so I want to talk all right. to you. Yeah, no, we're going. We're going in a month out to the Snake River with Leaf and Eric to fish. Well, uh, we're going out to Bass Country people. in a few weeks, and I know you've been out there. We just came back. Oh, you I just got, came we back. We got a few recommendations for you. Okay. Yeah, okay, we just awesome. got back a month ago. A month ago oh, today. Uh, but. Um, so where were we? You were talking about, uh, oh, how everybody opened their doors. And I'll tell you what, just a, a quick thing. When I started Portland Food Adventures, I was nobody. Nobody knew who I was. And people like, this is what makes the food scene. And Nate talks about this as well. In Portland, so wonderful. I went to people who didn't know me and said, hey, I got this idea. And it was Kathy Wims. Jason French, Scott Dolich, these, I didn't even realize how big these people were in our food scene, in our burgeoning food scene at the time. And they all said, yeah, we'll take the time to talk to you about what you want to do. Now, that's exactly what you're referring to. And it's incredible how, how everybody is so willing to do that. Where I come from on the East Coast, I don't think that would have happened. Yeah, it's a very, it feels like a small, it still feels like a small enough city but there's like celebrity chefs here, you know, and we want, so with the, with the street food show that I was referencing, like what they do is they'll go into like a city like Singapore or wherever, and they'll, uh, they'll have one kind of main person that they follow throughout the episode. And then they'll have two or three sub characters that sort of help elevate the story of that city's street food. And I think that that's sort of the format that we want to follow, especially with a short, a small crew having a format like that, that we can just follow and rinse and re repeat, not to rinse and repeat as in like dumbing down the show, but as something that we can actually follow with, with a small crew or no crew. So like, you know, something like, uh, I don't know, like Magna, right. In a Filipino episode, uh, and bound Kainan, who's in the other, the first episode we did, you know, these would be like the head people for us for Filipino. They've both been recognized as like, I think Bao and Kainan got food card of the year. La, Ma uh, La Magna got uh, James Beard semifinal, uh, semifinalist. And, and then, then we'll go find like two others that nobody's ever heard of or not a lot of people have heard of and then pull them into the discussion as well. So we really want to make sure that we're like juxtaposing the sort of like really popular people already and that helps us drive traffic and they already have a story and they're probably media trained already and experienced and then these new folks who are raw and they they're a little nervous or maybe a little green and uh that's i think that's a great story well you know uh somebody feed phil the portland episode just came mm -hmm. out and talk about formats he's got a very strong format that's you know duplicated every time and uh he did just that you know we he's interviewing having peter cho take him around and going to places i'd never seen quite a few places i'd never seen or heard of before so i think that works really well and i will say after doing this podcast for eight years it's smart to mix in the known with the unknown because when we first started this we were doing mostly unknown and uh year three we started going right to the top and it may you i can't tell you the difference it made and now so, you're going right back to the unknown with us <laughs> No, well, perhaps, but you know what? 
it's it's a sign of where we are because there are going to be a lot of new people that were I mean most of the people we knew who were operating some of them are still around right but I, the names I just mentioned um, Kathy's still around but Jason French is no longer even a chef and Scott Dolich uh, he doesn't have Park Kitchen anymore I mean so everything is everything has changed so there are going to be a lot of new faces and so new superstars it's going to take a few years for them to season and get up to the major leagues and everybody's going to know who they are yeah I didn't really leave you a question there, did I? Um, I just went through it. So, so um, what? Well, I wanted to know about your. Uh, you have kids that are six and three. So, if I go back two years, they were uh, four and one. So, when you were before the pandemic hit, I don't think you were going out to eat a lot. But I wanted to hear about your experience in Portland and what you really loved about it before the pandemic hit. But when your kids are that age, you're probably not going to, uh, you know, Nostrana very often. Well, I, ironically enough, uh, when our son was five weeks old and our daughter was two and a half, we hopped on a plane and backpacked Asia with them for three months. So they've oh, been just used. that. Yeah, yeah, just that. So uh, actually, I and I actually interviewed Andy Ricker while we were in Chiang Mai on that trip, um, which was kind of which was a fun story. But um, so they've always been thrown into it. Now there has been times where we question whether we should be taking our kids out to restaurants anymore because things get crazy sometimes. But um, we saw somebody sitting in a restaurant one time, and we were kind of anti not anti screen, but we were just hesitant about screens, and they were a group of four sitting there at a restaurant in 23rd enjoying their food. And we were like, man, I wish we knew what that felt like again. And the kid had the kid that was at the table, had a iPad or an Amazon fire. So we, you know, we, we invested in those. And so sometimes we, we haven't actually used them in a long time, but for a little while there, we would let them, you know, enjoy a show while we, you know, a learning show, of course, while we uh, were able to enjoy our meal that we're, you know, paying, paying good money for, we didn't want it to go to, you know, that that experience to go to waste, but yeah, no, I mean, they're great now. I mean, we're, we've been big travel people and food people before we had kids and we really didn't want to stop that. So it was kind of our goal to be able to do similar things when we were uh, married slash single. And when now we have kids. Yeah, the way we looked at it was, you know, sorry, the way we looked at it was, you know, this, uh, we don't want to be the parents who used to do all the fun stuff before we had kids. We actually felt like the, you know, the dining and the, you know, stuff like that, you know, the sort of going out and exploring the world is what would make us good parents. That's kind of part of the reason when we decided to have kids, we thought, you know, this is something we could contribute to our kids. So we wanted to make sure it stayed a part of their life. Well, I I guess it's none of my business, but I remember when I had kids, we were not in, I guess we went out a little bit before we had kids, but once we had kids, financially, it was, you know, we were struggling because of that. So I, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's not for me to say, how do you go backpacking at that point and just take off for three months? What kind of jobs did you have and how did you, how did you amass the uh, resources necessary to do that? So I was actually on maternity leave um, while when we were backpacking and he was in school at the time. He was getting his master's in uh, multimedia journalism and he actually filmed um, his thesis in Asia. So it just the timing kind of worked out where thankfully my job was paying me uh, full time while I was on maternity leave. And he was in school anyway. So it, it just kind of worked out while we were in Asia. Well, that's, those are great experiences. And they're great experiences for you to draw on to have to be able to look at the food scene in a, in, in a relative way. So, um, you know, I, I know there are quite a few people and I, I've met a few writers who haven't traveled extensively, food writers. And sometimes I wonder... How do you how do you know what you have here? Actually, when we were in Thailand, which Thai food is one of my favorite foods of all time, but we were in Thailand, I was craving the Portland food scene. 
Like we were eating amazing Thai food, but the but Portland has such diverse uh, food uh, food in uh, sorry uh, is so diverse in their uh, food culture that we can eat Italian one day and Thai food the next and Vietnamese food another day and they're all high level cuisines um, that I was I was really homesick when we were in Thailand even though we're surrounded by by amazing food. Well, I was going to say it's it's one of the reasons that I uh, enjoy Gary Okazaki so much because he's got such you know he's got such a perspective. And I asked him the other day he had gone to the Notogoro's new pop up. How does that relate to some of the Michelin star experiences you've had all over the world? Because we just came back from Spain and went to a couple of Michelin star restaurants, and I thought here in Portland I enjoyed that. It was different. I mean, there were different aspects to the service and so forth, but. I enjoyed that as much, if not more, than I did at a three-star Michelin restaurant in Spain. That does not mean I didn't enjoy it and I didn't love it. But yes, it goes to the point you're making that we have such wonderful experiences here, too. So um, do, you have some, do you have some favorites that you ha- have recorded already or that you're looking forward to um, hearing from as you move forward? Yeah, I mean, yesterday I filmed our follow-up with Nate Tilden at Bar Casa Valle, um, which is actually one of the restaurants that I'm most excited about in Portland right now. Um, and t- tonight or tomorrow, I'm filming at Cafe Rowan, which is finally getting the attention that I think they deserve. Uh, Spencer over there is doing really fun and interesting things. Um so that one's coming up. I'm filming with Kira from Kira's Bakery. Uh, she was, you know, she had a rough go at it business wise and, and other, you know, and personally, and she's, she's open to share her story. Um, you know, and then, like I said, I'm, I'm going to find, I'm going to make the a little bit stronger introduction to some of the folks that, you know, I'd mentioned earlier over at Flying Fish and the Magna and, you know, uh, Greg Higgins, I, I filmed, in his restaurant for about 15 minutes and he's said that he's down for letting me come in there and because i think re like some people say that the farm to table discussion might be like you know old news but i think it's still part of what makes portland great and i like that you guys are uh sponsored by ringside because you know people don't i don't i, don't, I think some people don't talk about that place enough and I still think they serve some of the best steaks in Portland. Um, so, so bringing up some of the old stuff and I did, I worked there. I did onion. I made onion rings at the ringside steakhouse for a little while back in the day. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, we're, I'm big believer in ringside and I was happy to see them again, hit the eater 38, just for the reason that you were talking about. Pausing just a moment here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, an institution, a Portland institution, Ringside Steakhouse. And get excited because now Ringside is open seven days a week, so you can join them for indoor and heated patio dining any day of the week. The hours are Monday through Thursday, 5 to 9, Friday, 4.30 to 9.30, Saturday, 4 to 9.30, and Sunday, 4 to 9. So everything's closed. Close to the same, but go on Ringside's website to check out the updated hours and, of course, uh, see about their prime rib three-course $48 special that is moving back to its historic Monday. Yeah, that's really great. That's one of my favorite things to get at Ringside Steakhouse, so uh, you can put that back on the agenda for a Monday night. And... Prime ribeyes by the case are back at Ringside. Ringside signature steaks are for sale on the website right now. Uh, they're available for pickup on Saturday, June 18th, which is Father's Day weekend. Don't forget that. Mothers, other people, and fathers. And Chris, we should also point this out. Not only can you get their great steaks, but if you love the way Ringside seasons their steaks, you can actually pick up the Ringside signature house seasoning as part of this. So do that I as well. 
Wilson well. Ringside Steak Salt that I had from a, a pack of beautiful food that I served at a party at my house uh, not long ago. And that Ringside Salt, the the, the steak salt that yeah. they provided, is going to last me for a couple of years. I assume it's going to be good for that long. Very nice. It's you great. Can, you can put it on steaks, chops, chicken, and your vegetables. Why not? So make those reservations on the website. Check out the hours on the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. So what have you discovered that makes our food scene here in Portland so unique? Oh, well, I think I think if you take any restaurant in Portland um, and you add food farm to table element to it, it's just going to elevate that restaurant, both in, you know, in marketing or whatever, whatever restaurant it is. If you, you know, take a Filipino food restaurant and you add, uh, and I reference Filipino food and Marie's Filipino. And so she's been, I've been lucky enough to have a Filipino food in my life. And I'm so glad to see that it's, it's getting its, uh, due in Portland. Um, but if you take Filipino food or Japanese food and you add farm to table to it, or you add sustainable fishing to it or whatever, you're, it's just going to elevate it. And I think that that's still, um, uh, you know, but part of Portland food culture, even though I, I feel like people don't mention it enough or as, as often as they maybe once did, maybe 10, 10, 12 years ago. What was your experience dining at the classic Portland restaurants? Well, one thing for me is like places, places like Higgins and Ringside and those kind of places, um, you know, they were, I guess, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money when, when I was going to school and those, and I was around those places and they were really kind of like at the top of the top of the game. Um, and so I, you know, I've never even eaten at Higgins and I probably, the only reason I've eaten at ringside is because of their steak bite happy hour and um, working there for a little while. So yeah, I just, a lot of those old, those places, I've just, I just didn't have the money. And then when I did have a little bit of extra money where I could go dine out, it was, food carts because I could eat for $6 or $8 and then which became $15. Um, so I'm, you know, we'd have kids, like you said, so you can't go out and buy, you know, $200 steak dinners all the time. But, you know, once in a while, we were lucky enough to be able to go try Berlou, uh, you know, their tasting menu, which we're so fortunate. We try, you know, Long Bon or, you know, Nimble Fish or some of these places that, serve an elevated and high you know more fine dining kind of experience well money it's a big part of producing this talk a little bit about that yeah i mean that's the biggest uh question right now you know so somebody asked me yesterday when does episode two come out and i said well i'd like to say by the end of june but it's probably realistically in july because i do have to spend part of this month um looking you know trying working on funding uh, building out the website things like that but, you know, we, we, we're putting together a pitch deck. I have a couple uh, people in the industry that are kind of guiding me through a, what a pitch deck looks like for, for what I'm doing. Um, and we're just, you know, hopefully starting next week or the week after, we'll start shopping this thing around. I'll, we'll probably fund the next two episodes uh, realistically. Um, and then hopefully, you know, if we can get somebody, you know, even if it's uh, independent, you know, sponsorship, like, we can get somebody to fund one episode at a time or five episodes at a time. Um, I mean, it would, be, it would be great to do something like what you have with zoo pans and ringside. Um, but it's, we'd love travel Portland or city of Portland. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're, we're looking around at who, who we want, uh, you know, to, to help fund this thing. Well, it's not going to create a conflict of interest because the journalistic element of it is really important to me. Like I don't, I like to have my fingerprints on the editing. You know, you can see you can see our style in the editing, but I want this to be their story. And so, you know, things like a ringside, right? If I'm doing an episode on steak and I include the ringside, but it's sponsored by them, I don't know how, like, I don't need to know if that would be the right move. Um, so it's just, it's finding the sponsorship that's not going to create any sort of conflict of interest in terms of how I tell the story. Now, something like Travel Portland or something like that, if, if, uh, you know, they th wanted to throw some money at it. If you're listening, uh, you can throw some money at it, Travel Portland. Um, I would say, you know, they something like that wouldn't be a conflict of interest for us because we're trying to do probably the same thing they are, which is tell the uh, truer, better version uh, of the story of Portland, right? And we want to see people, you know, I I'd rather see 25 to 30% of the audience come from outside of Portland you know, shared around the country or around the world so people can see this uh, and, and want to come see Portland. 
you know, want to get out. And, and, and that's, that's my hopeful. What do you want to do that's unique about your show that uh, hasn't been seen before? Part of the reason why we also wanted to start the show is a lot of the food shows, like even Anthony Bourdain cut his show in half between Seattle and Portland. They were like, wait, we have so many restaurants here. We can't have a full, a full show of Portland. So I'm really glad that, um, Bill came here and actually showed a full, a full, uh, episode of Portland, but we really wanted to showcase all the different restaurants and, um, all the different chefs that Portland offers. Yeah. And it's my thought to be able to put together a show where instead where Anthony Bourdain or somebody like that would go and focus each episode on a city, we wanted to just, you know, make the world smaller and the world is Portland, right? So now instead of saying, you know, we're going to go to Bangkok or go to Bangladesh or whatever, we're going to go to, you know, these different subgroups of restaurants in Portland and, and, and Portland's going to be our world or Oregon even. So that's kind of our... I think, I think Portland deserves a show. I really commend you on the production values. Uh, so much of it is great, and I love those drone shots. Yeah, that was all Graham, uh, who's the other uh, director of cinematography on the, um, on the production. He's, he's the only other person that shot anything with me, and he was really helpful. Some of the most beautiful shots in there were shot by him. Um, including the drone shots. So he was fortunate. He was kind enough to donate those shots to me um, and let me use them for this. Uh, I do want to pay him though. That's where, that's the first person I want to get paid for because you asked about challenges, you know, uh, shooting in a restaurant, you know, usually when you're shooting like an interview, you want to have as much controlled lighting and sound as possible. There is no controlled lighting and sound in a restaurant. You have fans, you know, you, you know, almost whatever time of day you go in, you're going to have refrigeration units making a bunch of noise. You know, if I go film you at your house and I want to shoot, you know, film you in your kitchen, there's a trick where we take my car keys and we throw them in the refrigerator and then we unplug your refrigerator. So that way, before I leave, I remember to plug it back in because I have to go get my keys. But um, it turns off the sound of that refrigerator, right? You can do things like turn off your HVAC. In a kitchen, you you can't do that. And there's a lot of times there's dishwashers that are being as quiet as they can. But, you know, stainless steel stuff still makes noise. So so controlling your environment for shooting is is a real was a really challenging one. There's a lot of uh, the shots that I I did not I couldn't use the you know the the natural sounds because they were you know uh, there's too much going on too much you can't even hear like some of the restaurants you know you can hear people's conversations and I didn't want to include that in the um, in the production. So, you know, controlling for sound and lighting is hard. And then she's been trying to push for more of me in the shots and, or more of her in the shots. And so, uh, well, I want us to be, I want to have a scene where we sit down at a table eating the food with the chefs. Um, and it's, it is hard without a crew since we need to make sure the sound is fine and, Nothing is, yeah. It, so cameras aren't shutting off. <laughs> yeah, the shot that I the, right, that, and you uh, need and you need cameras. You did not one camera. You need a few. Well, we sat down with Gary, uh, Gary the foodie. You're a good friend uh, for two different episodes, and um, you know, one this are two different conversations, and one of them. She kept telling me, hey, come sit down with us. Come sit down with us and have it, you know. And I was like, I can't. I have to watch these cameras. Somebody's got to watch the sound of the camera. And then yesterday I shot a conversation with Nate Tilden. He made up some Olympia provision chorizo sausage. And it was just an empty uh, bar casavale. She had a glass of wine and we had cameras pointing at both of us. And every time I go check one of the cameras, it was like something was going wrong with it. So, you know, it's it would be nice to have an extra person on hand. Uh, that's probably the biggest problem is just the size of the crew. And so that's first place funding will go is, you know, helping us get our website off the ground, helping us get uh, a, a couple extra crew members, an editor, to, you know, and, um, and an extra camera person. So tell us where people can find the show. And secondly, and I don't think it's as important as people finding the show, but how people can contribute or help you find sponsors or whatever you need to, to sustain this and, and get it, get it moving in the direction you want it to go. 
Well, I think first and foremost, uh, go to the Instagram. That's where we're kind of, because of our small, our crew and, you know, just getting this thing off the ground, we're using Instagram. So if you go to bridge to table, the link to the episodes in the bio, and there's information in the, uh, intro to the episode, as far as how to, you know, contribute if you want to. Um, if anybody knows any, if anybody wants to have a discussion about what funding might look like, uh, we'll take both an education and any information you have to help us, uh, navigate that. Um, and then follow Anne Marie's Instagram at PDX nom nom. Um, and she posts a lot of information about it as well. So at bridge to table and at PDX nom nom, um, would be the best place to start. Links are in the bio for everything. Yeah. And if you'd like to email us, yeah. It's also bridge to table at gmail.com. Um, we do have a, a, a Venmo and it's just at bridge to table. If anybody would like to donate. Fantastic. I think you've been following me and I've been following you for a few years. And Marie, <laughs> uh, that, that sound, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't often go and look and say who's following me, but I, but I recognize that handle. So uh, thank you. <laughs> that. And I also thank you, uh, Lathan, you asked about listening to an episode just to get a feel for it. Thanks for listening to a bunch, I, I understand, uh, you told me to listen to. And I'm a little nervous to ask you about criticism because you're a media professional and uh, we're, just, we're just rolling with this as we go. So I, I know there's, there are things we can do better. We, <laughs> I'm perfectly aware of that, but I think there's enough out there that yeah, there's enough people can grasp on to. You know, I think you do a really good job with your, uh, you know, you make people feel like they're part of a discussion instead of strictly in an interview. Um, and, you know, I feel like there was a couple interviews we discussed it uh, in our messaging that maybe weren't going the way you really wanted to. And I feel like you navigated it really well. And even those interviews were some of my favorite. You know, I listened to probably half a dozen before. Uh, you know, just in the last couple of days while, while driving around. And, you know, I think it's a very, you know, you, between you and your, your co-producer, um, you know, you, you guys make a very welcoming environment and I lo always look forward to the hour. So I'll, I'm going to keep listening. I'm going to go back to the archives. We missed the studio. And that is, it's easier to have uh, an intimate conversation in the studio. You don't have the technical issues that we have here, but, um, but it's also, I also don't mind sitting in my office doing this as well. So, um, I want to interview tried, you next. It, uh, oh, that, uh, okay. <laughs> I would enjoy that. I, uh, um, I'll try to think of something something worthwhile to say, but I'll tell you what I'd really love is if you can get to the point where you can come on one of our food trips with us with like Javier and JL to Basque Country and shoot that. We've had a, quite a few people ask if they can do that, but then it comes down to funding. How do you do that? So um, uh, We will find uh, a way. I'd love to. Yeah, we'll actually yeah, be in that Europe. Would be for, fun. Uh, we'll be in Europe in a couple weeks, um, and we heard... Um, that Pock Pock will actually be doing like a Europe trip. So I'm like, we'll actually be there at the same time. So And they're going to be in San Sebastian, Barcelona, that. and Lisbon. And we're going to be in those three cities over the course of three weeks. So hopefully we can intersect with them at some point. But we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Are you going to do any shooting there? I'm going to bring one light camera. I decided I'm going to leave my... I'm not going to, I'm going to have, my camera is going to be this big. It's my cheapest camera I have. And I'm, I, I get, sometimes it takes it out of me, uh, when I'm trying to film and experience it, but I'm going to bring my laptop. I'm probably going to be working on the website more than I will be working on filming. Okay. Well, it's, we just came from there and I've been to Barcelona. Uh, very fortunate to have been there six times. There's an episode you can do with former Portland chefs who are doing something elsewhere and go check out Jose Chesa at Blue Hill um, mm -hmm. in New York. That would be kind of cool. So um, we're going to be in New York on that same trip too. <laughs> Or bookending. Yeah, camera. <laughs> yeah. No, I I see lots of cool things you can do, and I got some suggestions. The reason I ask is uh, when you're in San Sebastian and even Bilbao, but Barcelona, I got some places that would be really fun for you to just get something on camera. 
Um, yeah, we well, so we can talk about that. We almost didn't even go to Barcelona, but, so I'm glad we're going. And for people who are listening to this and they're like, wait, they're asking for funding, but they're going on this sort of elaborate trip, just know this is our 10-year anniversary <laughs> that's two years late, and we've been planning and saving and everything for it for a while. So this is a, you know, this is a big trip for us. We first trip without kids in like, five, uh, I don't know, geez, six oh, years. Good for you. Yeah. That's the way to go. And I'm, I'm going to also, in your defense, because obviously you wanted to explain that, it's cheaper to fly to Europe now than it is to anywhere in the United States. So uh, I have a friend who just wants to get here from Fargo, North Dakota, and the flights were 1500 bucks. You can fly to Barcelona now for 800 So that's kind of crazy. So in your defense, it's you can do it on the cheap. You got Airbnbs. Uh, it's not the most expensive thing. And you know what? You shouldn't have to defend yourself. But I know. I do. You're not funding our trips. Well, Lathan and Anne-Marie... <laughs> I wish you the best of luck with this, and I really appreciate your taking the time. I found it fascinating to hear about the process of putting together Bridge to Table, and uh, surely look forward to uh, continued episodes. Well, thank you. And everybody, please check out the video. Again, link in bio at Bridge to Table uh, on uh, Instagram. And it's on it, YouTube. And it helps. We really do like comments um, and everything. And, of course, the likes. That really helps with funding because if we can show somebody the analytics behind, you know, we posted it on YouTube intentionally um, because we just thought the search analytics and everything would be a little bit easier to, um, to show somebody and be more searchable. So if you do engage with it at all, that's really helpful too. It just shows that we have uh, an interest um, out there. So yeah, and we would love feedback um, and any ideas on like what you'd like us, what, what you'd like to see in the future. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right